And welcome to Defined by Disability, a podcast brought to you this Disability History Month by and for disabled students. This podcast will be inviting disabled students from several universities to take part in conversations where we'll be exploring current issues that face disabled students and a look to the future on how we can improve them. I'm Anna, I'm a final year student at the University of Leeds and I've been deaf and wearing hearing aids my whole life. Hi, my name is Lily, I'm also a final year student at the University of Leeds and I have a learning disability. So this is our first episode in the full part series where we will be introducing a guest very shortly to discuss our first topic. But first, how are you, Anna? I am all good. I've had a bit of a long week. I've just been recovering from COVID, so everything got a bit put on hold. But my housemate made me some pancakes this morning, which is... Lovely. What a treat. Yeah, which is a great end to the week, great start to the week. How are you? How's your week been? My week has been so tiring because final year is so hard. <laughs> and like, so I'm writing my dissertation and it is such a process of like ironing out stuff and like trying to get things to be legible because like, I've got like the idea in my head and I feel like I emotionally know what like the research is, but it's just not academic yet. And it's like so far from being academic. Do you have like a plan for it or are you still working it out? I have a plan. I'm writing the literature review, but I've ne- I don't think I've written a literature review before. And I don't really still understand what critical writing is. And I keep thinking <laughs> like, what is critical writing? Um, There's no better time to start than now, I guess. Exactly. Um, better late than never. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a bit late. But yeah, I, had, I went for a nice walk this morning. I think that's the only thing that's kind of keeping me sane at the moment. Yeah, I just got out of isolation. So I went on my first walk yesterday and um, oh my God, it was so it was so good. But there's just like this little gang of 13 year olds at the moment in Leeds. And, and like going around mugging people. Did yeah, you see them? Around. yeah, I saw them. I just like walked past them really, really quickly because they, they're really small, but they're really scary. <laughs> Don't they have like pen knives or something? Yeah, I'm really glad I don't live in Hyde Park. I'm like not going to go there ever again. I was just trying to ease myself into the outside world and I saw them and I was like, oh, I'm just going to run straight back. (laughs) Yeah, it's become a thing. They're really getting around. But I'm really excited about recording this. I mean, it's, yeah, it's our first episode. Obviously, we're going to be discussing accessibility. I'm really excited. How are you feeling about recording this episode? I'm feeling good. It's a really nice Sunday activity. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I should have made a cup of tea, which I've forgotten to do, but it's fine. Um, Yeah, I am excited. Should we get started and introduce our guest? Our first special guest is Theo Donnelly, and he is from the University of Surrey Students' Union. Thank you for joining us. How are you, and how has your week been? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, no, it's not been a too bad week. Uh, It's almost a bit like back in how it was in May because uh, so I've gone back home again just before lockdown. Um, So I work at the the SU in Surrey, which so the University of Surrey, if you don't know, is in Guildford, but I uh, I live in Sussex. I'm back in Sussex now. So back from working from home now. So it's all kind of said back to kind of as it was before. But no, other than that, it's been not too bad. How has it been back home? Yeah, no, I, you know, we kind of got the whole, um, you know, what's the word? Well, you know, 
online learning, online learning, online working. That's what I'm too busy representing students in meetings now. As I've started to, you know, put it, the impression on my own mind. But anyway, so we've got the union's got a really good system for for online working, and uh, as I said, we were quite early to it before we had a little kind of was as COVID was kind of starting to rumble away. We did a couple of like test days where we all stayed at home so that was really good planning from um, our CEO actually and that's very good can you tell us a bit more about yourself your disability your role yeah absolutely so uh, uh, my role is I am the VP voice at Surrey Students Union so I kind of rec- I'm one of the sabbatical officers so I get paid for a year and have a year off um, and I kind of represent uh, the students on an academic point of view I do all our elect worry about our elections I manage our course reps that kind of stuff so a lot kind of a lot of other issues are called like VP education is sort of the most similar thing so that's what I do and then in terms of um, my kind of before that I studied politics and economics for three years so I've just finished that uh, and then in terms of my disability so when I was five and 11 months I had a virus and my immune system overreacted and attacked my own spinal cord uh, and then my myelin sheaths got inflamed and so I got spinal damage and it's called transverse myelitis so I'm a, a full-time wheelchair user as a result of my own my own immune system sabotaging me which is rather depressing but you know the good thing is is it does mean my immune system is quite strong it's not it's kind of overreactive rather than under so I haven't had COVID yet but I'm hoping that if I do I'll might be all right. So have you have you used a wheelchair for since since then since you're yeah pretty much since I was six yeah so I can't I can't walk at all and so yeah so so I have an electric wheelchair so I don't push it I I drive it and uh, yeah yeah. so you've like grown up through school through university yeah so I'm trying to think what sort of year in primary school it must have been maybe year three or four something like that but yeah all high school all of a levels all of um all of university all all in the wheelchair so all the way through well I'm sure you'll have plenty to say on accessibility so we might as well get started on kind of discussing personal experiences I mean obviously so this year's theme for Disability History Month is access, how far we come, how far we have to go. So I think this is probably quite a good way to start off the series. Because I think that, I mean, accessibility is obviously something that all disabled students can relate to, to a certain extent. Everyone's had very different experiences. I know Lily and I, we, we also study politics modules um, and we've kind of discussed a lot our kind of differing experiences and, you know, how like kind of navigating disability services yeah, I don't know if you want to say a bit more about that, Lily, how you've had it. Yeah, I think so, like, I have a learning disability, so, like, that highlights the most prominently at uni. And so I was diagnosed when I was at school and I'd have extra time in my A-level exams and things. And, like, I don't understand how people do exams in the normal amount of time because, like, the extra time, I would still run out of time and be, like three quarters of the way through an exam like I just don't understand how everyone is so quick how much um, extra time do you get uh I would get 25 percent yeah so I get 50 and even I sometimes run out of time so I'm, I'm there with you I didn't know that was a thing yeah <laughs> have to be very special for 50 percent and I get a scribe as well so because when I first started doing exams like doing it all on computers wasn't really a thing so yeah. although I could do it on a computer now I'm still not very fast at typing and I'm kind of used to doing with a scribe so um but yeah no because also I I liked it because I did economics which is quite mathsy so I could do the maths because writing maths I find much less tiring I guess I don't really understand why um but writing you know three page essays in x time for politics Mm -hmm. was much harder so 
that's what I, that was my system. I'd do the maths and then they would I would talk and they would write down um my. Uh, I feel like with with maths, as well, like I study um philosophy, politics, and economics. I feel like with the math side of things, you your brain kind of goes into autopilot and like takes over a bit. Whereas with the with the writing, the essays, like it 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 does take a lot more kind of effort. You've got the time kind of ticking down. I mean, Lily, you need to get that extra 25% of um, of extra time, I think. Well, this is the thing. I came to uni with my little, like, disability assessment from school. Like, hey, here, here's everything you need to give me. I need the extra time. I need the printer. Da, da, da. Uh, and uni was like, hmm, uh, actually, you need to get the higher education assessment. And I was like, okay, okay, you guys are going to get that for me. And then it's like, we have to pay for it. And it's like 500 quid or something. Like, I think it's 500 now, it was 400 at the time. Um, and I was like, I can't really afford that. I haven't really got that lying around. And then, cause I'm a plus program student and like did access to leads and one of those. Um, and like the only funding that they could get for me would cover like 150 quid of it. So I was just like, also on principle, like, I don't agree with having to get that. Yeah. So I didn't get it. So I've never been allowed any of my disabled things at uni. Um, so I've just never picked a module that has an exam. And, and that has been my method of getting around it. Um, if only I wished that there was a way of doing that for economics. There was some that we had to do. Intermediate, intermediate micro, no, intermediate macro two still haunts me to this day. But other than that, Oh my god, I I cut out economics in my third year. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just doing philosophy and politics this year. I should have just done politics. It would have been a much better idea. <laughs> I mean, that's another thing, isn't it? Like, it's so it's so expensive trying to get support, and like the fact is that the onus is on the student to try and go and get help um, to get their accessibility requirements. And like, I, I think that's probably one of the bigger issues to ask for your accessibility requirements to be fulfilled is like it's quite big it's like quite intense to kind of have to email loads of lecturers and be like oh is it all right if you do this a bit differently it's um it's quite intense and also there's it's not just about once you're at uni because i remember like when i was applying for stuff i was having like meetings with because i uh, would sorry with sorry like months before even like the deadlines for UCAS stuff was because it was like I I had a look around other unis uh, I went around Sussex I went around Bristol I went around Southampton uh Bath did I go around Bath I can't remember something anyway a few sort of reasonably sort of southern ones and um you know I kind of chose Surrey for for various reasons and it was like right it's got to be sorry because if because all sorts of things like you know I have carers you've got to plan care plans you've got to hire people you can't like ring them up and go oh yeah because so we were, I know we said we were going to sorry but UCAS has come through and I didn't quite get the grade so we're going to Newcastle now so sorry that's not really a thing you can do to other people so I uh, I applied for sorry as my first and my second choice um, and you know things like accommodation you've got to get like a pretty you know is there hoists in there is there bed you know like specialist beds all that kind of stuff is is really fun to do um pre while studying for your a-levels as well so now i hadn't even thought about um how yeah you just kind of had to choose one uni and then just just roll with that i suppose yeah. that's a that's a lot of pressure on one uni <laughs> so did you live in halls i did i well technically i still live in halls uh, i still you know um i plan to be going back um once uh, hopefully this kind of second lockdown's over yes yeah, so i lived i've lived in the same room all three years of my degree and then half of this year for um for my sap year as well 
So, yeah, no, it's to be fair, like it, it took a lot of organization, but the yeah. uni were pretty good. Like they did have a room. Um, I got a I got a discounted rent, which was very nice because so we have bands of rooms. So a, a band is like the smallest ones with shared bathrooms. B is a little bit bigger. C is the sort of the medium one. And then D, which is what I'm in, is an ensuite. So because they only have ex- accessible rooms that are in the D band, they only charge me or they only charge me C price um mm-hmm. because c is like the normal one and it's like you could you could have asked for a c but we don't have any accessible c's to give you so you have to have d so that was quite quite nice of them um oh that is nice that is very nice i do i do remember like in my accommodation um like the only the only rooms in the whole accommodation that had like a bathtub were the accessible rooms and so some random students would just get it because I don't think necessarily that many people in wheelchairs were applying for that accommodation and so and we just kind of come into the, into the bedroom like which was always like double the size like the bathtubs as well yeah I had a couple of friends like that in a different flat and they're like I must have lucked out and got the, the bigger <laughs> accessible room this is great so you you mentioned that you use carers how how did that fit into your uni life yeah no I guess it's all about kind of communication and kind of making sure that they're happy as well so they lived in the room opposite mine so we both lived in halls so I had my room they had their room that was opposite uh and they were kind of you know it really depends on the level of care that you require I'm my sort of care is weird it's like I need help getting out of bed and going to bed you know getting out of my chair and getting in a chair and that sort of stuff and help making food and that sort of thing but the rest of the time I'm kind of okay to do my own thing I don't need someone like following me around all the time so they would sort of go and do their own thing I would go to lectures I come back you know they'd make me food and maybe I'd go out and you know have a, have a beer or whatever and and rock up at some stupid time in a in a horrible state and then get them to put me to bed because that was the kind of <laughs> but yeah so like um a lot of the carers I had were from um, people that used to work at my school so I went to a it's not like a specialist school it was one of those schools that had like normal kids I know everyone hates that like we're not normal you know what I mean but yeah I always said there's normal kids anyway so there's there's kind of people without any disabilities and then there was a sort of smaller section of students with various you know all, all kinds of disabilities physical learning all, all the range and there was staff that kind of helped with them as a hydro pool there was on-site physios all of that sort of stuff so a lot of the, the guys that worked as um TAs or LSAs so t- teaching assistants learning support assistants I think it was uh you know ended up leaving there and some of them came to work for me as a carer so I tend to rotate so I've got two or three and they do kind of a couple of weeks on a couple of weeks off that sort of that sort of thing full-time carers uh yeah so some of them have other jobs so one of them's a is a part-time photographer actually so he goes and does that um and uh does and his girlfriend works in sort of pr and social media stuff so he kind of goes and helps her with that kind of stuff and then you know two weeks on he's with me and then some of them others are as you say full-time carers so they have other people that they work with and they you know kind of um jump around the country working for various various people because that's something that i wanted to discuss actually because you, you you kind of mentioned um that when you're in school there were like yeah the normal kids and then like the the kids you know special needs. special kids yeah the special kids so I went to I grew up I went to a private school I was on a bursary but um I went to a private school and there was very very little support for me um so I was born deaf like I've, I've worn hearing aids my whole life um but I grew up in in a hearing family so I was kind of raised to speak but I rely a lot on things like lip reading and subtitles a lot but I never really received any support throughout school and so I had to learn how to like adapt in the classroom by myself and like so it got to the point that I got to uni and I was offered disabled student allowance 
and they had all of this like jazzy equipment like all of these recording things that you can use on your laptop you know this special pen that you can put in the middle of the table it will record all conversations I just didn't take it because I was like I just don't know how to use any of the technology I wasn't accustomed to like whipping out some technology in the middle of a classroom seminar room or lecture theatre whatever it was and so I've just kind of carried on and so I haven't actually taken up many of the accessibility things that have been offered to me and I think it's I think it's like to do with having gone to that school and so with you guys, how, how did your schools kind of impact your view of accessibility? Like, do you think it had that big of an impact or not really? That's a very interesting question. I never thought about this before. Yeah. Um, I guess, so part of it was like kind of, so what we used to have in my school was, um, as I said, we had LSAs and TAs. So the one, usually there would be at least one in the class with who would go and, you know, work with the two or three kids that were in a wheelchair or whatever. And so they would, if you can't write very well, they would take notes for you. Uh, and and help you with that sort of stuff and then the same again in the exams uh you know you'd have a scribe and extra time if, if that was something that you that you needed um but apart from that that was kind of it really so I still kind of got not quite left to my own devices because that sounds horrible but you know no more than any you know I was kind of helped with the bit I needed help with and then not anymore which was kind of the right thing to do really because then when you go to uni and you have less less help that's uh you don't want to be kind of lulled into this false security where everyone does things for you and stuff um but no I think my school was quite um special in that so not in the not in the special and normal courses I mean like it was really good for that because it, it did have that um as I said the kind of the, the larger section of the school which was uh, as most schools are and then that kind of specialist bit on the side so it was very much kind of integrated and it was about kind of teaching you to to not not be too different and all the other kids were kind of used to people in wheelchairs being around it wasn't like a big deal it wasn't like you know there's the whole um little britain sketch about being the only gay in the village it wasn't very much the, you know the only disabled in the village it was it was kind of whereas then going to university it was a bit like that. i remember kind of in my in my first year there was there was one, actually i went on a, an open day and there was a girl in a wheelchair but she was leaving so and then there was another girl who used to wheelchair a couple of times but she was a postgrad so i didn't see her a huge amount um so in terms of kind of undergrad stuff I was the only disabled in the university or at least it felt like a little bit um and then you kind of encounter things that clearly people haven't used a lot before so there were lifts but they were lifts that you had to pull the door open and it's like well that doesn't work does it you know you have to you know why isn't it a button or you know lifts that broke really kind of easily or kind of particularly so in that we've got a student nightclub and in my freshers week um we had Sigala uh playing and I was going from it's all like uh, our student nightclubs built a bit like um, the Weasley's house from Harry Potter. It's all, it's very like multi-level and bits of it have been stuck on over the years. And um, so, yeah, I ended up getting stuck in one of these lifts just as Sigala's about to come on. So that had to get delayed. I ended up getting like carried out in my wheelchair by security. It was it was a whole thing. Um, but but out of that, and as I said, now that I'm kind of on the on the sub team and stuff, there's a different thing they took out one of the lifts and they put in a new one and it's much better now the whole kind of because previously to get to the bar you had to go through the door up a lift through the dance floor which is usually bloody rammed and up another lift and then you get to the bar whereas now you can go all the way to the top and then around so you don't have to fight your way through you know fighting your way through a crowd you know a mosh pit or whatever and as a normal person is quite difficult doing it in a wheelchair is very hard so yeah many obstacles i mean that i mean that's um that's quite a story i mean and at least something good came out of it getting stuck in the middle of oh that's so gutting that is so gutting like one of my one of my friends talks about like going out using a wheelchair and things and like 
just the frustration of going of like the lift being broken and then the bouncer telling him you're gonna have to go around the back kind of thing and it's just that whole or you can get in and there's no disabled toilet and it's like (laughs) well guess we're not starting because you know I've done a few pub crawls and things for various societies back in the day and you know you get to bar four or whatever and it's like oh this we did not plan this well this is not gonna loo uh-oh yes we're gonna have to go and like break into the train station or something and ask the guard to let us onto the platform <laughs> you know these kind of these are the kind of things that you have to kind of end up or in burger king or whatever anything like that and the other thing i always found quite funny is that i over the years as you know i've had kind of made friends with people from societies or people on my course or whatever and as they kind of come out with me more and more they kind of they sort of kind of slowly start to realize what it's like like oh you can't get in there or oh it's like this and then and then they hit a point so they go from kind of realization to to understanding to actualization it's like maslow's hierarchy and then they start like but ringing up beforehand like saying oh have they got I've, like, i booked this out i've checked this place it's so planned and it becomes like a military operation it's amazing so yeah no, it's always really nice when when people kind of reach that level of, of yeah. understanding and I mean, I, I don't know about you, but in Leeds, the Union nightclub, whenever I've gone, there's always a massive, massive queue for the disabled toilet. And it's clearly like people who don't need to use it, just, uh, just all the other the toilets are full. You need to get a radar key. That's what you need. Yeah, exactly. Get that key. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like with wheelchair access, like because I've worked in care homes and I'll be caring for people in wheelchairs. And I find it so amazing how inaccessible care homes can be. And it's like, surely that would be the one place where there are ramps and where there are electric doors. But I would be like wheeling someone to their bedroom and I would like carry their Zimmer frame on my back, like a backpack, and then would be wheeling them and then would come to a door where there's no button. So I have to like take off the Zimmer frame, get the door open and like walk backwards with the wheelchair around, get the Zimmer frame, have to do that like four times before getting to their bedroom. It's like, why isn't there an electric door? This is a care home. This is a private care home. I think they can afford some electric doors. It, it, it is amazing things like that. Like even when the design is intentionally for things like that. So the other, other the classic one I always talk about is wheelchair accessible toilets where the door opens inwards into the loo. So then what you do is you open the door and you drive your chair in and now you can't shut the door because your chair's in the way. It's like, why doesn't this open outwards? Why? Whose idea was this? and it's yeah similar sort of thing and as i said earlier with the lifts that you that are just like a normal door to open it's like well this is completely unusable people will just nice glad you spent 50 grand on this lift that is not useful last year we did the for last year disability history month so lily and i are disabled liberation coordinators but i was a liberation coordinator last year as well and we we did a disruptions campaign and so we basically had different campaigns across the union to get students to kind of just stop and think like oh this is really inaccessible and you know not letting students kind of go up the stairs and making them go around to the ramp and we'd get so many students being so pissed off with us and getting so angry with us about it and it makes you think like how much of this goes over students' heads, like non-disabled students' heads. And it's also hidden away. People don't really know about accessible architecture, especially pre-COVID. It was it's such a kind of integral part of uni life, just getting around easily. Yeah, definitely. I remember being in a few meetings recently when they were talking about doing the one-way systems for, um, you know, as you said, with COVID restrictions and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that, that one-way system's great if you can use those stairs so what am i doing so there's like two or three places now around campus where i'm like exempt from the one-way system because it's the only option um but yeah so. uh, 
I mean, you get to skip all the cues then as well. So. Dude, key skipping is nice. I have to say, I am really bad for cues because I've grown up my whole life not having to queue for things, you know, at airports, museums, all of those kind of stuff. They just wave you through. So now when I actually do occasionally have to queue, I find it really upsetting because I'm like, I'm not used to this. I get my, you know, I have to not be able to walk. So this is my payback. I get to skip queues and now I'm in a queue and I'm unhappy about it. That's just so like to be really entitled about that. It's so funny because whenever, you know, whenever people find out I'm deaf, honestly, too many times people ask me if I can get the blue badge. And it's just like, it's just this, I'm just like, well, why do you, how do you? I can still drive and walk. It's fine. I just can't hear. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you'd be surprised at how, how many people think deaf people can't drive. <laughs> They're like, surely you can't hear the cars. How can you drive? I mean, I can't drive, but that's completely unrelated to it. <laughs> that's a separate problem. Yeah, that is a separate problem. That's definitely a problem with me, but not my deafness. <laughs> so in terms of student life, obviously you were living in, in accommodation. Were you living in shared accommodation? You, did you have flatmates and stuff? Yeah, so I, I lived um, in, it's, uh, it's kind of like a, a block of flats. So we had seven or eight buildings in a kind of area uh and each one had three floors with roughly 10 rooms a floor you know some of them maybe eight or nine but that was the kind and then it's and then one kitchen per floor so i'm on the ground floor um and so yeah so there's sort of eight or nine other people well it's very empty this year because um obviously covid's had uh yeah. an impact on student intake but in the past you'd have um you know more people and stuff i was just now thinking about my halls and like there weren't any lifts to any of the floors i didn't have lifts either so it was really weird in my second year i made like mostly friends with the people upstairs once so they always had to come down which is you know a bit of a pain yeah even if your flat is accessible like not everyone else's will be yeah people would like invite you for pre's and like oh, i can't get in there how was it meeting people the freshers but for both of you coming in freshers kind of discussing obviously is that having a visible disability versus having a hidden disability how, how was that for you guys I think it's in terms of meeting other people, it's not normally too bad. I mean, sometimes people ask you kind of slightly, particularly if you've had a few drinks, slightly inappropriate questions about, you know, your love life or whatever. And it's kind of like, I'd rather not answer this question, but I'm also not that, you know, I'm also not that bothered about it. It's like, you know, and things like that. And also part of, I kind of feel like, I don't want to say it's my duty, but I sort of feel a little bit like I should answer honestly, because it helps to educate people about yeah. disabled people. Right. And it's like, on the, you know, people are, oh, the other one I always get is like, um, you know can you feel your legs it's like yeah i can you know not everyone who can't walk is lacking sensory whatever it is um nerve damage well i have i have motor nerve damage but not um mm. i've forgotten sensory nerve damage this one see you can tell i've did social science i don't know anything about medicine my mum be very my mum's a doctor so she'd be very disappointed in me um but i think there's something kind of quite almost helpful about having a physical disability because when people come up to you they're like ah oh, he's in a wheelchair I could see that. Whereas if you've got some sort of invisible illness, you know, like Crohn's or a learning disability or kind of anything like that, and then it becomes a lot more of a kind of difficult conversation because you have to like explain it to someone and it has to kind of come out like that. Whereas I never have to be do that whole sort of, hi, I'm in a wheelchair because you can see. Yeah, so, yeah. There's a sort of, a sort of almost a kind of social advantage in that. It makes it like those kind of conversations sometimes a little bit easier. Yeah, you never have to initiate those conversations, I suppose. I don't know what your experience of that is, Lily. Well, yeah, so no one ever knows unless I say things. So, like, I think the biggest thing with my learning disability is that, like, I can be really slow. So, like, things like in seminars are really difficult. And, like, or if I'm at a prize and the music's loud, 
I don't speak because I can't really like process conversations when I can like also hear music. My friends have a joke that like when I'm talking at pre's and they don't want me to talk, they'll like turn the music up because then I just slowly like stop talking. Yeah, so uni is like the place where I find it the most difficult because like I'll go and speak to my tutors and they just want me to do everything independently because they're just like, yeah, you're at uni, that's what it's about. But like I do need help <laughs> like with explaining things. But I feel like in terms of freshers, it didn't um, jump out that much. Yeah. What was it like with your deafness? Because I have an uncle that's deaf and in one ear and people always think he's really rude because they're trying to speak to him. You just can't hear them. I mean, it was interesting. It was um, it was definitely interesting. I suppose like we relate in the sense that music definitely affects how yeah like interact with people and obviously like going to pre's I mean Leeds Uni it's just like D&B central so going to pre's in like a small flat and it's just such loud music sometimes if it's so sometimes it's so loud that I can kind of tune it out and I can just lip read um and that's quite a fun little trick and like I can sometimes if I'm feeling really nosy I can sometimes like lip read another person's conversation as well <laughs> um like across the music but other than that it wasn't too bad I feel like it's kind of because I don't because I don't come across as a deaf person, is this kind of interesting mix between like, is a physical and visible disability when I've got my hair up or something, but people don't, if just from talking to me, people don't necessarily think that I'm deaf and people don't necessarily realize I'm lip reading them all the time kind of thing. Um, And so it's getting to that point in your friendships when you kind of have to start having those conversations with being like, can you stop mumbling? <laughs> um, Articulate properly, please. Like. Yeah, literally. Can you just enunciate? <laughs> um, and then, but then you get people going like down to the other extreme, then they'll just start talking like so slowly and so loudly. And it's just like, no, no, that's not what I'm looking for. Just look at me when you talk. <laughs> yeah, like I only notice your deafness when we're like talking and walking somewhere. So we're like oh, yeah. standing next to each other. There is a time where your batteries and your hearing aid had run out. It's going to be so hard today because I can't really hear anything. Because I isolated before, like about a month ago, and somehow, somehow I lost one of my hearing aids in my house somewhere. I don't know, I don't know where it is. It's probably in my bedroom as we speak, but I'm like on one hearing aid right now and it's my worst ear as well. So I'm even more on like 50%. But yeah, talking and walking is impossible because also the wind goes into the microphone of my hearing aids. And it's just like little things like that that people don't really realise. Walking to uni with someone is actually a bit more of a stressful endeavour than like people mm-hmm. realise. What about with COVID? Obviously, with everyone wearing masks a lot more, I imagine that makes the lip reading significantly more difficult. Yeah, it's just like internal conflicts of obviously I want everyone to wear masks and masks are obviously the way to keep things safe. But then just like it is sometimes a bit anxiety inducing going into a public space, knowing that I'm not going to really be I'm going to have really really strained to hear what someone's saying especially with one hearing aid but that's that's my own fault that I shouldn't have lost my hearing aid that's my own fault um but yeah definitely I going into shops like I, I rely on the self-checkouts a lot it is it's a bit stressful I'm glad someone else has, has problems with batteries as well because there's been a couple of times I've forgot to charge my wheelchair and ended up getting pushed home so oh my god I can I can relate in a certain extent with that you have to charge your wheelchair overnight yeah every so i i tend to i have to charge it every night because i the battery's 
rubbish they're like iphones they just die as they get old um yep. so yeah you have to charge it every night and sometimes you you know you cut back and get home and you forget and then the next day it's like oh also so i so one of the times was i went to london because I, I went and got tattoo so i had to get trained to you know, drive to well i drive walk whatever to the station in guildford train up to london walk to the place get the thing you know go have some food come back this is all pre-covid by the way this is this is a couple of years ago before everyone anyone listening loses their minds um uh yeah and i came back and then there's a uh, sorry uni's up a big, quite a big hill so i ended up having to get pushed up that by a couple of my mates because by the time we got back from the the london trip it was it was it was out of juice oh yeah like you have to charge hoists as well do you use a hoist? I do sometimes. Um, and uh, hoists I've always been all right with because the ones I've got sort of, um, you might be able to see it actually. Can you see the sort of track along the, the ceiling? Um, in the... Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know those ones. So those, um, they sort of live at one end of the wall and um, and that charges it. So you just sort of push it up against the side. So that's not too bad, that one. Uh, I've never run out on a hoist. It can happen, of course, but I'm, I've I've luckily escaped that. I've never got uh, suspended midair on the hoist sling. Just stuck. <laughs> I have fallen out of one though. That was well, fortunately I wasn't very far off the bed, but the sling kind of slipped and I went through it. Because um, they're not they're not some of them aren't solid. They kind of wrap under your legs, so there's like a little hole. Can I ask what a hoist is? I don't know if I'm being ignorant, but I have no idea what a hoist is. It's a sort of mechanical mini crane, I guess, that you, you can use to um, pick people up with and transfer them from. A wheelchair to a bed or vice versa and that sort of thing yeah so like at work like you know you couldn't carry 40 people into bed and out of bed because we do our backs in so like there's a lot of manual handling mm. like rules and regulations and so like um you will have residents who need one person to get them into bed and then we have two and they're called a double and because you need two you're meant to have two people to um operate a hoist and a sling in case something goes wrong and so like another person can go and get someone um do you have to have two no i'm quite little i mean sometimes people pick me up as well um it depends kind of you know which carries you with and whether you know if it's my mum or something she probably just picked me up but um because i i weigh a grand total of 32 kilograms so i'm i'm quite small okay that is pretty light yeah. So when you say you're living back home, is that with your parents? Yeah. So I'm in my my parents' house at the moment. So I am um, because uh, you know lockdown happened. I thought because uh, again, it's kind of you don't want to make because as much as we get on well, my carers are kind of you know I'd say we are friends, but ultimately I don't want to you know I'm also their employer, so it's kind of a bit rubbish to make them stay in a tiny one you know one room student accommodation whilst i'm also not going out anywhere so um yeah i went home a couple of days before it was kind of what is it it was the second wasn't it yeah no it's no it's opening on the second isn't it anyway i went i went back home basically um and as i said earlier all our kind of systems for working online are all pretty good at the su so i've been all right but hopefully going to go back either in jan or perhaps mid-december depending on how things how things go taking it day by day isn't it this might be a good point to move on to our next segment of the show, which is a look to the future. So we've spoken a bit about being students and how this has impacted our day to day and our student lives. But now I kind of want to look at what do we hope accessibility will look like in the future? And are there any steps that you guys think we need to take to get there? For, for me, it's all about like designing things with that element of you know accessibility mind from the start right is because uh, sorry is uh, you know quite a, 
and reasonably old uni it's not as old as sort of oxbridge or whatever but you know i think most of it's built in the 70s 80s so it's been very much a kind of ah to uh, abide by the guidelines we now need to stick this in and it's about you know spending as least amount of money to get the thing in even though it's not actually as i said earlier you know things like lifts opening with pull doors and what have you rather than it being kind of the best thing possible um and same with and we i know we've talked a lot about kind of physical things like doors and lifts and whatever but there's you know also the kind of more um educational element like where where do you sit in a lecture theater and you know lecture theaters are inherently unwheelchair accessible in the way that you're either right at the top or right at the very front and you're like the lecture is like a yard from you and you're like looking up at the screen with your stood directly up which is always quite uncomfortable or you're right at the very back and look like you kind of don't want to be there and sort of yell if you need to ask a question like hi yeah sorry and you know so that's uh, and also sometimes when you're right at the very top you've got like a really tiny space to cock your chair in and it's like very near to going down the steps and I'm always quite terrified I'm just going to end up driving de- to my death down a full flight of stairs but anyway sorry I digress my point is is that there's lots of things and obviously you mentioned your um you know being deaf and so something I remember happening again at Surrey was they built these new or like re- redid these lecture theatres and then didn't put the hearing loops in properly so it's like ah oh, yeah that thing that we tried to do that didn't work so that's just ruined now so things like that you know having it so that the doors are put in excess you know whether they're electric or just wide enough to get chairs through having wheelchair accessible toilets in having you know appropriate places in lecture theaters um lecture captures another really big one you know mm-hmm. so having things recorded uh so that's something i do i try to do a lot of work on with the su now is um trying to push really hard for that to be compulsory across the board um and you know in the kind of nuances of how that works with labs or how that works with you know various things with like intellectual property um stuff like that and if you're discussing sort of uh, controversial topics do they want those to be recorded but obviously you know then you have students with you know various invisible illnesses that might you know have flare-ups and things so they might not be able to come on that day so yeah no lecture capture is another really big one so those are my, those are my two i think i'd really like to see going forward is when you build things do you know think about making them accessible from the start not mm-hmm. just tacking things on afterwards uh, and yeah lecture capture because that's the thing, isn't it, with um, accessible architecture is that it's always added as an afterthought. And that's so true about the, the lecture theatre stuff. I'm sure if my friends are listening to this, they'll, um, yeah, I've always used to drag them like right to the front of the lecture theatre. <laughs> and we'd probably look really nerdy and stuff. Everyone was probably like, oh, those girls always at the front. But it's just me, like, I can't hear. But yeah, and lecture capture is such a massive one, especially with the UCU strikes. They were yep. very, very against lecture capture. And I remember I, I went and spoke to UCU last year went through all these reasons and it's just like so tough because I obviously support UCU and everything that they're doing understand why why they're doing it but it was um it is tough because lecture capture is so important for so many disabled students and like not just disabled students but just students that fall ill do you know what yeah, I mean commuter students and you know or there's a whole you know students uh, with you know kids all kinds of stuff um yeah, yeah. So the list goes on yeah and so I, I do agree with you it's about having inclusion right at the center of everything as soon as you as soon as you start um and obviously so Lily obviously with a learning disability it's less about the kind of architecture of the of the uni how would you make it more accessible for you um I think this is a thing that I always kind of struggle with figuring out what would help me I think that like academia being on such a pedestal and like being so, so orientated about intelligence I think I'm an intelligent person because I got into the university 
but like being in this environment and like having learning difficulties the default is just to feel sick and like that just doesn't help your experience at all so I just kind of wish there wasn't such a prestige Mm. around uni and writing and just it can feel really exclusionary but I think also like in terms of the accessible architecture from what I've observed working in care homes is that more people are going to be disabled than they realize like especially in their old age you know the CEOs of companies who aren't making their buildings accessible they could so easily in 30 years be in a care home in a wheelchair in a building that's not that accessible like I think people don't realize that they could experience it there are so many things to happen in life and then you will need different accessibility arrangements and I wish people knew that and then they'd think about it more because I think I like notice wheelchair stuff so much more now because I, because I assist people in wheelchairs and I wouldn't have done that before. Yeah, I had my friends say exactly the same thing. They're like, Theo, I, I went to this pub or I went to this place and I'm like, it's so inaccessible. Like, I don't know how you do things in life. I'm like, I'm glad you're starting to notice how difficult my life is. I like, thank you for your sympathy. And it, yeah, it's so true because people really separate themselves from disability and it, it is a shame that they kind of have to get disabled friends to to realize that that like, I think that goes for any disabled person that can, anyone can relate to that like all my friends think a lot more about how they're speaking and um you know my friends have said to me that sometimes they'll, they'll catch themselves and they'll kind of turn around and make sure that I can see their their face clearly and stuff like that and so I suppose that's a tricky bit isn't it about getting everyone to connect with disability without having to necessarily have a disabled flatmate do you know what I mean I feel like it should be taught in PSHE or something like that when you're in school. Because like, you're a lot more accepting of ideas when you're a kid. And from what it sounds like with your school, Theo, that would have been so beneficial for like the kids without disabilities to just be around that environment and then take on that knowledge from an earlier age. Yeah, no, I agree. That sounds like a great idea. And like, I think, because I think, probably also coming from my like learning disability background, is that like, I think emotional intelligence is the most important. All of the difficult things that I've gone through in my life in terms of like disability stuff and like anxiety stuff, I am so grateful for those because I get like other people that have the same thing, I get where they're coming from. Mm. I seem like I count myself really lucky to understand, you know, when someone's having a panic attack, I like know what that is. Mm. I'm reading it from a textbook in psychology a level and I just think yeah I think empathy is great <laughs> wish more people had it <laughs> yeah I mean empathy is so important and it's just kind of about you know sometimes you know when I mentioned earlier you kind of have those slightly awkward conversations with people uh, and maybe they ask you slightly odd questions and stuff and it's about kind of even if it's you know people make mistakes but it's about kind of that attitude of wanting to to learn and be you know respectful and kind of it's so they can understand and help rather than they're not trying to just be rude about it and having people with that kind of attitude I think is really you know going into with it with that kind of attitude like I don't know much about this I would like to learn so I can be a better friend and a better person and and so on um yeah it's really what you want yeah so true because um I don't really some people definitely ask ignorant questions um but it's kind of one of those things that it's like I'd, I'd rather they they ask me um than like I don't know, just didn't, just kept yeah. like, walk, kept walking through life, thinking a certain way of disabled people, having this stereotype of them without actually challenging it and questioning it. But yeah, obviously do it respectfully. 
Yeah, I think if even if there were more, th- if there was better movie and TV about disability, oh, like, yeah. like, we think- could do a whole another podcast on yeah. disability being shown in media, couldn't we? I think. Yeah, I was gonna. I was thinking of doing an episode on media representation. I'll be up for that. Get me back on. I'll do another one. Get me back on for the fifth for the fifth episode, the bonus episode, media representation. Um, that'd actually be quite fun, to be fair. So we'll see how well this these next four episodes go, and then we could do a media representation one. I'd be down for that. But yeah, so I think that's all we've got time for. Just thank you both for this conversation. It's been really, it's been very eye opening, and I hope our listeners, whoever they are, have have also enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for joining us, CEO. Thank you very much for having me. I was I was an, I was honoured to be invited. And I got that email. I was like, oh, this is great. But yeah, no, thank you very much for having me. And thank you to Anna for being the champion of it and having me as co-host. Um, little um, gratitude circle. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. Lovely. But yeah, thanks so much for listening to Defined by Disability. Listen out for our next episode, which is going to be shared on our website, su-disabilityhm.co.uk. It's a bit of a mouthful, but check out the website if you'd like to contribute to our blog series, which is also called Defined by Disability, and sign up to any of our other events. There's so many virtual projects for disabled and non-disabled students alike to get involved with, so please do sign up and check out the website. We hope you're staying safe and well, and we'll see you next week for our second episode of the series. Bye. Bye.